Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. Y'all glad to be here today? Yeah, awesome. Me too. Uh, my name is Pat. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm the family pastor here at our church. And man, I love what God is doing here at Harrison Bridge Campus. And so I'm glad to be with you here today. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, but this has been, uh, for me to prepare uh, this message, kind of been uh, one of those that you're like, I, I need this uh, all the time. I need to, to speak this into my life every day. I constantly need to be reminded of uh, this message. And um, it's, this is just to kind of give you an idea, uh, kind of pull back the curtain into my life. Like, I know cheesecakes are bad for me, but I, do, I eat them anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, uh, I will go to Cheesecake Factory. My wife has, like, stopped eating sugar right now, and so I will eat, have to eat the whole cheesecake. And that's like a daily calorie intake with that one uh, dessert, right? And, um, but I know, that's, I know that's a terrible thing, and yet I do it. And I think sometimes for us, when we are following Jesus, sometimes we know the right thing to do. We know what God's asked us to do, and yet we don't do it anyway. You know what I'm saying? We kind of, kind of fall into that category. And so for, uh, for this message today, I, th- I feel like God is challenging me, and hopefully he'll be challenging you to kind of look internally at our own hearts and see how obedient am I into following uh, what he's asking me to. We're going through this series, burst, best, burst, best sermon ever. Uh, it's not uh, my best sermon ever, uh, but it's Jesus' best sermon ever that we're looking at. Uh, sermon on the Mount, uh, this uh, beautiful picture where Jesus takes what we know and kind of turns it on its head a little bit. Uh, to be a Jewish believer, uh, back then you had, man, over 600 laws that you had to follow and obey. And uh, so you literally, your life was all about the things you were doing or weren't doing right, right? I mean, you just kind of lived with that constant sense of, of attempting to do the right things. And Jesus takes this idea and wants to kind of uh, help speak into us as believers as to the spirit of or the heart of that law. In fact, Paul actually said in Galatians 3.24 that the law itself was there as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. He's like, the law teaches us about the lawgiver. It tells us who God is, but it also shows that we need somebody else in our life. We need Christ in order to be holy. We can't be holy on our own because we're not good enough. We're incapable of doing it. And so I love uh, these verses because I feel like it really does help us not think that we have it all together, uh, but realize how imperfect we are. Last week, um, we read in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he says, For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus is saying those temporal things, those minor things here on this earth that you're concerned about, are not of eternal value. So focus on the things that are of eternal value. Now this is like uh, extra true in my life because I will say I oftentimes focus on things that really don't matter. And I say this as a Georgia fan, right? Like as a Bulldog fan, uh, every year is when we have next year. We're like, all right, next year is going to be our year, right? Like that's going to be it. Uh, But two great things happened in 1980. I was born and it was the last year we won a national championship and so uh, every year of my life, we've been waiting on next year, right? It's like we're putting hope in that and we're leaning into it. But at the end of the day, it really, it really doesn't matter. And that's what I remind myself of every year. In the scope of life, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't. But we put so much uh, passion into things like that, right, that are, are of such small value. And so what Jesus is saying here as, he, as we come into chapter 7, he's like, keep this mindset 
of the fact of we should be focusing on things that are eternal, not focusing on things that are temporary, not focusing on things of this earth. I remember uh, bought a Jeep uh, Wrangler years ago, 05 uh, Jeep Wrangler, and uh, loved that thing and, and bought brand new, uh, only car I've ever bought uh, brand new, and loved it. But that Jeep's probably like in a ditch somewhere right now, rusting, right? Like if, if a legit Jeep guy bought it from me is actually using it as a Jeep, right? Like it's, it's torn up. Like we can't put our hope in something that even we put a lot of money into and think this is going to be a great thing that's going to carry us through. At the end of the day, those things are going to disappear one day. The, the nice house that you put all your money into is not going to exist one day. But let's focus on the things that are eternal. Let's focus on the things that matter. A good, another illustration before we go into this is like if your kid calls you um, because they got hurt at school and your first question is, um, did you rip those new jeans we just bought you? Then you kind of are missing the point, right? Some of y'all are like, guilty? I've been there, Right? <laughs> Um, at the end of the day, what we should be focused on are the things that truly matter. Are you okay? Are, you know, are, should I be there right now? Can I be there to help you? Who cares about the genes? And Jesus kind of leads us into that. So I'm, we're going to read verses 1 through 14, but I'm going to take them a block at a time. So let's focus on the first six verses right now. He says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample uh, them underfoot and turn to attack you. These verses, the first thing I want us to know is recognize uh, your sin. These verses, uh, especially that first part, is, uh, is probably the only verse that people outside of church know, right? You ever talk to those people, and they're like, well, the Bible says not to judge, right? Like, you're like, oh, okay, you got any other verses for me? Like, you know, uh, Mr. Philosopher, anybody? Um, and so, like, uh, this, is a, this is a common uh, thing that people will say, well, judge not, you know, lest you be judged. And so we want to kind of understand what Jesus is saying here. Again, remember what he's saying is to focus on things um, that are eternal. And this uh, judgment that he's talking about, uh, really means condemnation, to condemn somebody else. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, he uses a slightly different uh, attitude here. He says, For what uh, have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? What he's not saying in these verses here in, in chapter 7 is not to be a discerning Christian, that we should be like, well, it's not me to judge. You know, that guy can go do whatever he wants to do. What he's saying is we cannot condemn the heart because we don't know motives. Only God can do that. Only God can judge somebody for their motives. We are, as discerning Christians, able to see actions. We are able to make decisions based on what we know. But we cannot judge somebody's heart. That's his job. But as Christians, we should be caring about one another, that I care enough about you and the way that you're living that I'm willing to help you in that. I'm willing to look you in the eye as a friend and to use this term, judge, but to use our uh, term just to be concerned about your life, to help you be a better Christian. That should be who we are as Christians. I, I would hate it. I'm one of those friends that, like, when a friend of mine has something on their face or in their teeth, I'm usually like, hey, man, like, in here, right? And I always feel like that makes me a good friend by doing that. And I'm always like, how did all those other people not say anything to you? Like, literally, they were like, I will not tell them that they have asparagus in their teeth. I'm like, how hard is that? 
just tell them it's there, right? So I don't know if it's because I'm an Enneagram 1 and my wife is obsessed with Enneagram stuff. Uh, she's an Enneagram 9, so she would be like, nope, they're just going to live with that stuff in their teeth. Like, I'm just going to avoid it. And I'm like, hey, bro, let me get it for you. You know, I'll just reach in there and, uh, and grab it. At the end of the day, like, uh, we've got to be the kind of people that care enough about those around us, especially believers, that we want to help them. And so that's really a different level. Ephesians 4 puts it this way. Um, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what he's calling us to do is live in such a way that we are uniting ourselves under one purpose, focusing on what God has called us to, um, the eternal aspect of the way that we live, and not really worrying about the temporal things. These other things are just ways for us to help one another uh, to, to succeed. The reality is, though, the church uh, has not have a good reputation in the community. And oftentimes, the world around us sees the church as judgmental. They see us as pointing our fingers, telling them they're doing wrong. I mean, I did this. As an early Christian, uh, I got saved at 16, uh, and I worked at Chick-fil-A, and I was the guy at Chick-fil-A that was like, y'all need to watch your language like back here. You should not be using those words, right? Like uh, Chick-fil-A didn't have the same standards, I guess, back then. They obviously hired me too, so... Um, but I was like, hey, you got to watch your language. Like, I, was, I felt like I was that. Uh, and now on the flip side, uh, I'm a chaplain with a sheriff's office. I love it. it it's, uh, it's crazy how many deputies will uh, experience a real-life scenario and then come over to me and be like, hey, chaplain, I'm sorry for uh, what you just heard there. And I'm like, please don't apologize to me. I don't want to be the language police. That's not why I'm here. And at the end of the day, what, what the church is often known for is judgment so much that people project that onto you. I'll tell you another example of how this happens to me. As a pastor, uh, I oftentimes don't tell people what I do uh, for as long as I possibly can while we're having a conversation, because as soon as I tell them I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, yes, well, you know, thank you so much for all, you know, it's like, I don't, I want you to be yourself. Like, don't try to be somebody else in front of me, but what they're doing is they're projecting that judgment because that's what they've experienced in the past. And as, as believers, what we need to do is set the bar in such a way that what matters to us is the gospel. All those other little things, they, they don't matter as much. I think this is one of the reasons why when a Christian leader falls, it's a big deal. Because the world is going, see, you guys aren't perfect either. And the reality is we should be saying, no, we are not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us have it together. In fact, you're exactly right. We are just as susceptible as you are, except that we have the Holy Spirit in us. And man, I am striving every day to become more like my Savior. And I need you, and you need me, to help us do that. We've got to be willing to look each other in the eye as believers and say, we can do better. God is calling us to do more. The reality is we're, we will be judged. I mean, the Bible tells us that, that judge, how we judge others is how we're going to be judged. But he says, kind of clarifying that, when you see the speck in your brother's eye and you don't recognize the log in your own eye. I do woodworking. I'm not that, that great at woodworking. Um, but I brought just a spare two-by-four that I had at the house because I thought, I thought this is uh, hyperbole. This is like Dallas's wheelhouse, so it's crazy he's not uh, preaching today because he's told me he's going to kill me like 100 times, and I've not yet died, uh, nor has he tried. Um, he just loves hyperbole. Jesus sharing this story is just making uh, an extreme example out of something uh, so that he can get his point across. But it's literally like somebody having a two-by-four sticking out of their eye and me saying, Doug, you got something right here if you can get that. If you don't, you know, it's like, 
how, how absurd and how crazy is this, right? Um, I, I should not share this example, um, but I'm going to. Uh, I went to the movies. It's been a while. It's been like 14, 15 years. Uh, me and my wife went uh, to the movies, and we were walking out of the theater and saw uh, this lady from our church, and, um, and we said hello, and she was going on and on about like how ugly the actress was in the movie, and I was like, you got kind of a plank in your eye there, don't you? You know, like kind of an interesting, you know what I mean? Like, okay, um, that's where you wanted to go. All right, like that's fine. But like how, how often do we really do that? I mean, we do, right? Um, I, I would say this is something that we regularly implement. And it would be like me making fun of a chunky bald guy and just being like, that guy's life is not really working out like he thought it would, you know? It would be terrible. Like, you just, I couldn't do that uh, in, in good conscience. At the end of the day, like, what we have to be aware of is the words that we say matter, and people can very much see the plank in our eye. They absolutely see it. So when you are vulnerable, when you have an honest attitude to say, you know what, I, I want to be just as concerned about this before I can help somebody else, that matters. People see that. Pharisees, they were trying to knock everybody else down so that they look better. And God has called us to say, we're going we're gonna to sacrifice ourselves. The Bible, we'll read in a second, says to deny yourself, take up your own cross so that we can lift up others. So he's saying, hey, don't be like the Pharisees. I know people like that, right? If they're uh, not great at something, they just got to knock everybody else to that lower level. Like, I'm just going to knock them down and make me higher. He's saying no. The eye is such a super sensitive part of the body. Uh, Jesus uses this uh, as a pretty uh, great illustration because we all are very aware and, uh, you know, caring of our eyes, right? Like, you're not just like, that's a strange liquid. Let's see what happens. You wouldn't do that, right? Because you, you care deeply uh, about your eyes. My dad was always concerned about my eyes as a kid. I don't know why. We had cats, and I had one cat, uh, Smokey, that would stay in my room, and he'd be like, now don't let her scratch out your eyes. Like, don't let her... <laughs> do that. And I never, I never understood that because I never met a person that was just like, yeah, I let a cat sleep in my room and now I can't see. Like, so I don't know. It didn't seem to be a big problem uh, in the world we're in, but like if my brother and I were shooting BB guns, it was always like, you guys got to take care of your eyes. I'm like, what about all the other things that we need to worry about? Like the neighbors, not shooting the neighbors. He's not worried. He was worried about eyes. So for whatever reason, but eyes are, eyes are sensitive, right? And you can't have a plank in your eye with, and miss it. You can't miss this if it's coming out of your face. Jesus is saying, this is super obvious. This is something that everybody else sees. You yourself should see it. And yet you're walking around trying to correct everybody else on something that's so small. Now, hear me, because as a, as a Christian, if you're that person that's walking around doing that, how does that look to you? How, how does that look to somebody else? Now, I will say this. The relationship in my life where this is most evident uh, is my marriage, where your spouse knows you better than anybody else, for those of you that are married in here. I mean, truthfully, right? They see you at your worst day. They see you at your best day. Um, your, your kids, uh, kids, if you live at home or if you did live at home at one point, like, you get it, right? You see each other in your family on your best day and your worst day. And it's very easy, like, when I, my dad, I shouldn't share this, um, but I don't think he's here, so it's okay. Um, but uh, he used to, he used to always uh, get really, really upset and tell me to calm down. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you had dad like that, you need to calm down. And you're like, I'm actually the calm one. I do that too. I'm not, I'm not saying he's 
he's imperfect. He'd get really mad if you heard me say that. But um, at the end of the day, though, we, we're, none of us are perfect, right? Like, and so we got to be aware that we have a plank sticking out of our own eyes. In our marriages, um, it's real easy for us to start demeaning our spouse or demeaning the ones that we love instead of focusing on what we can do better in our relationship, instead of focusing on how I can improve uh, in my wife. I've told my wife she's perfect. Uh, if she would just push her dresser drawers in, it would be, then she would be perfect, right? So she's nearly there. And at the end of the day, um, she's close. She's getting there. But really, she could make a list of 100 things for me. And so for me to even care about the dresser drawers is almost ridiculous because she's like, well, you know, how about getting off the couch every now and then or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, we have to be aware of those things in our lives that are, um, that are really bringing us down because judgment shows our own motives when we're judging someone else's motives. This is, uh, I wrote these four things down. This is kind of under point one um, that I thought really that what this passage was, was uh, kind of displaying in uh, terms of how we judge others. Because um, if you take that one phrase to not judge others uh, out of context, you miss it. But here's really what I believe Jesus is saying here. The first thing is um, to, to be humble right? Take the humble route. I used to joke around about uh, writing a book called Humble Like Me. I always thought that would be a great title uh, for a book on humility. But like, um, take the humble route. This is hard because there are a lot of people out there that are different than you. There are a lot of people that voted for a different person than you or uh, sound different than you or look different than you, and yet you have something to learn from that person. For you to think that you don't have anything to learn from somebody because of what they think or what they believe in some certain area is a sense of pride. We have to walk into every conversation with every person saying, I have something I can learn from you, and I'm going to figure out what that is. So let me get to know you. Let me hear your story. Let me hear what you're telling me. I don't care how different you believe in them. They still need to hear the gospel, and they're not going to hear it with you having a bullhorn in their face. They're going to hear it because you care and because you started a conversation because you're humble. We need to be so humble that we ask God's word to reveal the planks in our eyes that we can remove so that we're able to help other people with a speck in theirs. The second one, prioritize what's truly important. Just like we saw in uh, chapter 6, God needs to, above all, to be above all else. If we prioritize him, then the eternal things start mattering and the temporal things don't. I have literally seen people fight over football games or, you know, whatever, any kind of sports or whatever. Those things really don't matter. I'm not saying that they're not helpful. I'm not saying they're not fun because I love them. I'm saying in the scope of eternity, those things really don't matter. And so we're going we're gonna to fight in our neighborhood about who parks in the parking lot for seven days, and that's going to be the, thing that, the hill that we die on. And on the scope of eternity, we could show the, the love of God through a conversation with somebody. I would say focus on the things that matter. The third thing, pause before you respond. Consider your words. This is hard for me because especially when somebody says something that I know is wrong, I want to correct them. All right, it happened last night, and in my head I was like, you're preaching on this tomorrow. But I was still like, no, this, that's wrong. Like I still did it. And it's hard. Um, we have to learn to pause. And I'll be honest with you, if, if somebody, I've talked to people before, and they've said, let me think about that for a second. I've actually respected their response more because I know they're putting time into it and not giving me just their gut, like this is what I like or don't like. 
they're actually going to think about how to respond to me. So I think it doesn't make you look dumber. I think it actually makes you look smarter if you pause, especially if it's with your spouse and you want to say what you want to say. That's the time for you to say, I'm going to stop, I'm going to listen, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to respond. And the last thing just on that is always uh, have a sense of gratitude. It's really hard to be a punk when you're grateful. It's hard to be a jerk when, when you have gratitude in your heart and you're thankful for what God's given you. So I feel like when Jesus is telling us here um, to take the, the log out of our own eyes and uh, not focus on the speck in other eyes, that's the attitude that he's trying to help us have. Is to say, be grateful, be willing to listen, be willing to look at yourself, be willing to ask God what in my life needs to change. And the reality is, I'm not saying we should walk around, all of us constantly just um, perpetually evaluating our own lives and just saying like, well, I, obviously I'm a terrible person and I'm a really bad person, uh, so I can't really help anybody else. You have tremendous help for other people. But we need to start every day saying, God, uh, reveal those things to me. He goes on to say, like, don't uh, give dogs what is holy and throw your pearls before pigs. Uh, dogs were not seen as pets as much as scavengers. They, they were uh, wild and kind of running the streets and grabbing scraps of meat, right? So what he's saying is don't take this really great thing and throw it out there uh, to those who don't care. The pigs would care nothing about pearls, right? He says they would trample all over them. So what we're doing is if we're, if we're just simply throwing out a simple uh, list of rules or ways somebody else should act, um, we're, we're not giving them the gospel, which is what they need. We're giving them something that doesn't matter to them yet. Because we can't expect somebody who doesn't follow Jesus to act like they follow Jesus. That's not fair, is it? I mean, I will never wear orange. Unless my son goes to Clemson, I'll wear orange. Um, but apart from that, like I, you won't see anything orange in my house. Um, that's who I am. You can't expect me to wear orange. I'm a bulldog. Like You're not going to do that. We can't expect lost people to act like saved people. What we need to do is say, okay, I, I want to tell you about the ever-loving um, grace and mercy of Jesus and let that reign and rule in your hearts. And when you have that, God will change your behavior. God will change the way that you view the world. And then it's a different story. Then you, you pursue Jesus through that holiness. We have to be careful because um, we, we can sometimes get to this point where uh, different researchers call it moralistic therapeutic deism, which is this idea of saying, if you're good enough, God's going to be happy with you. And we've created that in the church because we've made it about who's good and who's not good. And there's this sense of comparison to think I'm better than that person and they're better than me. And so I'm somewhere in the middle, but at least God wouldn't send me to hell because I'm not a terrible person and I do more good things than bad things. And that's not how it works. We're all sinful. None of us will be good enough. And we've got to lead with that idea of saying, help me to lead with that sense of humility. Here's the uh, truth before I move on to the second one. We're unable to help anyone improve their walk before our own lives are thoroughly examined. We can't help anybody else until we examine our own lives. So moving on from there, uh, the second point is depend on the Father. I promise these other points are not as uh, long. Verses 7 through 11, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those 
who ask him. What, what a great verse. I think these verses can also be taken out of context because he's not saying, hey, whatever you ask for, you're going to get. Because if that's the case, I'd have a uh, red Ferrari Testarossa in my driveway right this second, okay? Um, I don't need a new one. Give me an old one, like in the 80s. I'm good with that. And, um, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, like, whatever your uh, heart desires, you're going to receive. What he says is, as a father, we know what our children need. As a father, if your son asked for bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. Like, how mean? Did anybody get coal for Christmas ever? Like, for real? That, that would be like the meanest thing in the world, and yet I guess some people do get it. I don't know. I've never been bad enough uh, to get coal. I've always been good. But, um, but like, to give your son a, a stone when he asks for bread uh, is not expressing the love of the Father. What we should be as children, though, is dependent on God for everything, leaning on him, sharing our heart. I've always told people, man, if you're mad at God, tell him because he already knows it. Like you don't have to put on a front for God. My kids uh, are not good liars. I can tell you if they're lying right now. And that's a good trait, I think, probably uh, to not be a good liar. And um, I, but I know my children. I know what they need. Sometimes my kids, if, if they could right now, they would get on a screen and they wouldn't turn off till they went to bed. That's just what they would do, right? But that would not be good for them. And so as a parent, when I uh, keep them from screens, I ha- can actually pause all their internet on my uh, phone. Uh, all their devices won't get on the internet. And, um, and they'll get upset with me, but I know what's best for my kids. As a dad, I care about them. When we're dependent on the father, we realize that he knows best for us what we know. We certainly wouldn't want to be the person that had all of our prayers answered, because to be honest with you, like, that, would, that would probably be disastrous for all of us within the day. But at the end of the day, what we do need to realize is that God knows all that's best for us. And the, the last two verses here, excuse me, three verses in verse 12, uh, the third thing is pursue Jesus. Uh, in verse 12, it says, So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Pursue Jesus with your whole heart. That verse 12, often known as the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Probably heard that all throughout elementary school, right? They told us, treat others the way that you want to be treated. And I think we would uh, probably be remiss if we tried to sum up the gospel uh, with those verses. I don't think it does. But it does help us realize that as we interact with the world around us, as we uh, seek to represent Jesus to this world, that how we treat them is going to reflect what they hear from our hearts. The truth that comes out of our mouths about Jesus is only going to be heard if they're able to see our hearts caring about them the way that we have been cared for. Because in our sin, uh, in the fact that we rejected God, in the fact that we turned our back on him and ran away from him, he pursued us and sent his son to a cross to show us love. What kind, of, what kind of love is that, man? What kind of grace is that? We should be living that same grace to the world around us. Certainly our world is messed up. I would not tell you that it isn't. And I don't know that there is a, a, a time in history that it hasn't been messed up. And I don't know that there's going to be a time in our future that it's not messed up until Jesus comes back. So until that time, we strive to not try and fix the world, but let Jesus fix our hearts so that we can display that grace to the world. That the love that we should have is that way. Jesus says there's two ways. There's the narrow gate 
and there's the broad, right? Like if you're on 385 and you want to pass somebody, like it's easy, right? You can just go around them. You can zoom, not telling you to speed. Uh, that would be a bad thing. But if they're going below the speed limit, you can get past them. Um, but when I go home on Levon Road, uh, for some reason, I always get behind the person that goes 10 miles below the speed limit. Like I'm not uh, saying that the speed limit is the minimum, but I'm saying it should be close to the minimum. And so when I'm behind that person, it drives me crazy, and so there's one spot I can pass them on the way home, and the whole time I'm just waiting for that one spot to burn them, you know, and my wife hates it, but I'll be like, this is my time, I'm going. And the, the reality is, man, going home on, on Lee Vaughn is a whole different experience than if you're on the interstate, right, if you're on 385. He says broad is the way of, the, of destruction. He says there's a, a myriad of people that are not following Jesus, that are, are uh, going uh, a total wrong direction. But to follow me is not easy. Sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes it's difficult. If you're looking to your left and right for affirmation from others around you, you may not get it. And yet the affirmation that, does, that matters to you, it should matter to you, is Jesus. He tells us in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That truly the narrow gate is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. Jesus is that narrow gate. He is the way that we learn to follow who God is. He's the reason that our motivation is to look at the plank in our own eye and say, how can I change the way that I live so that God can be most glorified in my life and maybe hopefully give me an opportunity or a platform to be able to tell somebody else about the love that I have in my life, about what Christ has done in my heart, that he would change me. The narrow gate is not easy. The narrow gate is difficult. And following Jesus is not a call to say, hey, your life is about to get super easy and it's going to get so much better. Um, it's a call to say, life may be challenging and may be difficult, but God is right there with you. And there's no joy greater than having the hope that Jesus offers us. Because the world around us, they can't offer hope. We're part of the problem. For us to think we can come up with a solution is um, selfish and prideful. He's the only one that has the solution. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, the joy set before us in the cross, the fact that you've uh, sent your son and shown us just tremendous grace and love. Um, every day should remind us of of how great we have it. And so just with grateful hearts and thankful hearts, we want to thank you. Um, we want to thank you so much uh, for the cross and ask that as we leave this place that the people that we would interact with, that the world that we'd come in contact with, whether it be at a restaurant or a neighbor or at work or even our family, that you would teach us uh, what it means to remove the plank in our own eyes, that you would help us to help others uh, by looking first in our own hearts. So Father, I pray for the Christian in this room uh, that may be running from you, that may just realize they've got um, a mound of things in their own lives they need to surrender. Would this be the opportunity for them, God, to have the courage to surrender those things over? To realize that uh, their priorities have been misplaced and it's time um, to, to change that, that today would be that. God, for the person in this room that's uh, never decided to follow you as Savior, uh, Father, I pray that today would be the day they'd walk through the narrow gate, that they would realize that you are the only way. It's no longer about trying harder. It's about dying to ourselves more. It's about surrendering who we are to follow you, God. Will you give them 
courage to speak with somebody. Let today be the day that you would change their life forever. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our church, in our midst. And even during this last song, would you get all of the worship and all the praise because you deserve it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.